Well, turn with me, would you? We're going to look at a couple different places beside our main passage today. Turn with me while we're starting to the book of Ephesians, if you would. Our, um, one of our New Testament passages, the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, and then while you're turning there, I would just remind you that if you would like to receive the study guides for each week, they become available usually by Wednesday or Thursday, uh, we would be delighted. Just text that to us and we'd be delighted to add you to the growing list of people who are preparing for worship ahead of time by studying the passage in Daniel that we approach each week. But in the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote these words, Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of God. Cheerful, Pastor Dave. Thank you for taking us to that encouraging passage, right? But we have to understand where we are if we're going to understand where God is taking us, right? He says, this is what you were. Look at verse 4. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Hallelujah. Oh, my goodness. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's the famous verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The very word of God. Thanks be to God. Then turn over a few more pages with me, would you, to the book of James. It's, it's back toward the back. You have James and then 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord. And he will exalt you. Again, the very word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, wow, we saw that last week, did we not? Um, this amazing uh, world ruler, this, 
this significant person, probably at that time, one of the most significant people and most significant kingdom that the secular world knew of at the time, Nebuchadnezzar. And, and despite all the things that, that uh, he had at his disposal, he had no room in his heart for God. There was only room on his throne for him. And then we saw how in mercy, in mercy, God humbled him. Do you remember? He, he warned him several times through, through Daniel, our prophet here. He warned him and called him to himself, but, but Nebuchadnezzar was so overcome by what he had done, what he had built, that, that, that he began to, to place himself on the throne that only God can occupy. And so God humbled him. Do you remember? And for seven years, he was like a beast. That's a big theme in Daniel. When we, when we do not recognize the sovereignty of God, we are like beasts before him. And, and for, for Nebuchadnezzar, that played out. He actually ate grass. He lived outside, probably in an iron cage to protect him, not to protect anybody else. But he, he lived for seven years until he lifted his eyes to heaven. And, and repented, and God forgave him. And, and it was so beautiful. He restored everything that he had had. And, and Nebuchadnezzar just, just cried out in worship. Finally, at the end of, of this man's life, finally, after 30-some years of being king over Babylon, finally he learned who really was king. Oh, amazing amazing story to help us understand God's heart for the humble. Well, I've shared with you before that, um, that Daniel is not a, a linear book. When, you, when you're reading in Daniel, it doesn't go from A to B to C. It goes from A to E and then back to C and then to F. It jumps around and, and you have to ask why. Why is it not chronological? First of all, because the Hebrew mind is not chronological, it is, it is cyclical. We're going to see that in Daniel, we're going to see it again in the spring in Revelation over and over again. But, but also because as Daniel is telling us the story, the, the very way he structures the story is pointing us toward a truth. Now we are in Daniel 5 today, but let me just, um, uh, short circuit this and say the literary structure of Daniel is pointing toward two chapters. Wait a second. You said, don't we want to get to the good stuff in Daniel 7 and, and the visions about our future? Don't we want to get to that good stuff? Isn't that where this is pointing? No. If you miss this, you will not understand what he is doing in the rest of Daniel. And I'm going to suggest to you, you will not understand what he's doing in Revelation either. You will not understand what he's saying about our future as well. What is this concept that is so important for us here? Let me say it again. It is humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. He will lift you. Three times in, in Daniel 4 and now in its parallel 
at the, at the very point of the spear here is a parallel passage now still where God calls us to humility but but now Belteshazzar does not respond Dan, Nebuchadnezzar did Belteshazzar does not I, I said that wrong Belshazzar Belteshazzar is Daniel's name in Aramaic Belshazzar so similar isn't it is the king's name Belshazzar does not does not respond. Three times in Nebuchadnezzar's life, God told him his purpose. He says, my purpose is for you to know, Nebuchadnezzar, that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it even the lowliest of men. Three times in in Daniel 4, God reminds us of that truth. God is in charge. And God sets over us kings, and I'm going to suggest presidents. God puts them in place, and they're not always the, the, the greatest character people. They're oftentimes the lowliest of men, right? But, but again, Nebuchadnezzar learned the lesson. Belteshazzar did not. We pick up the story now, uh, let's see, 23 years after the death of Nebuchadnezzar. So in that difference between Daniel 4 and Daniel 5, 23 years has gone by. And, and there is a king in place that secular historians love to say proves that Daniel is not, uh, not history. Uh, secular historians like to say, this just proves it, right? There's no record. They said this for centuries. There's no record of a king, Belshazzar, in, in secular history. And as I shared with you at the very beginning of our study, then God just blows that away. In the bottom of, of the Mediterranean, they find a cuneiform, in other words, Akkadian stele, which, which records the history of Babylon. And there he is. There's Belshazzar. Don't succumb to the temptation of the world around you to tell you that God can't do what his word says he did. Don't succumb to the temptation to believe that God cannot do what he says he will do. God's word is more trustworthy than any history. But don't fear. I, I believe with all my heart that God will bring those things together when we stop trying to fight against what God's word is saying. And... And here is a classic example here. Now, um, Daniel 5 says Belshazzar was a son of Nebuchadnezzar. Well, immediately everybody says, well, that can't be. This is 23 years later. If he was born uh, toward the end of his life, Nebuchadnezzar would have been 60 or 70 years old. It couldn't be. Yeah, God can't bring uh, children to a 90 or 100-year-old. Abraham can he? God can't do miracles, can he? Oh, yeah, he can. He can. I'm, I'm not making a federal case out of it one way or another because there is no word for grandfather in Hebrew. And so, uh, so uh, oftentimes we, someone would be called Jesus would be called David's son, right? So it wasn't his literal son. He was way down the family tree from David. But I, I'm pretty confident that this really was Belshazzar's son. I'm sorry, I'm going to go on a bike trail for a second with you because I just get so excited when I, when I find God's word proving itself true, right? When Nebuchadnezzar died, there was um, a struggle for power, as there often is in great kingdoms. And, uh, and 
over the next seven years, uh, over and over again, uh, people usurp the throne, including seven years. Uh, four kings have gone by and, and in seven years, and then a man named Nabonidus um, usurps the throne. And in a scene like, like in um, uh, a Disney movie, right, uh, Scar says to, to uh, Simba's mother, just, just marry me, right? Just marry me and we'll unite the kingdom. And, 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 and she says, no way, no way, Scar. I'll never marry you. I mean, uh, life imitates reality sometimes. Um, Nabonidus, uh, who is not a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, usurps the throne, but then, I believe, this is Dave speaking now, marries the queen, right? To somehow get legitimacy for his, for his uh, throne. And the queen has a son, right? And this son is a mess, this son is a mess. Nabonidus, who's never received by the people, uh, builds a, a retreat um, many miles away and spends seven of the last ten years of his kingship away from the capital. He puts his worthless son, now which he married into the family, he puts Belshazzar in control of Babylon. And soon Babylon is surrounded by the Medo-Persian army, right? Two kingdoms unite to overcome this great kingdom of Babylon. And town after Babylonian town, they take over until they're at the very gates of Babylon. And, and now, these, 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 the city is not, a, a, not a, a small thing. It's a very formidable city. Um, historians tell us that the walls are 87 feet thick. I don't know how far 87 feet is, but it's probably from me to the back wall. That's how thick the walls are. The walls are 35 stories high in and of themselves. And if you add the towers there, they're 43 stories high, right? Oh, 440 feet high. The walls, so so it's pretty pretty easy to think um, we can be confident that no one can breach these walls, right? And 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 they don't have to worry like Jerusalem did about running out of water because the 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 Euphrates River runs under the walls into the cities and out the backside. They can never stop the water from coming. The city is so big that they can grow crops within the city. It's estimated that they could survive twenty years of a siege in Babylon. So so Belshazzar is surrounded now by the Medo-Persian army and he throws a party. He throws a party for a thousand of the people that he wants to impress, right? They're in this massive room. They think they might have found that room in archaeology. It's just amazing to, to consider the celebration that was going inside while outside their city was under attack. It's got a little spirit check there. Because I don't know, but that doesn't describe us as a country, right? The celebration that's going on inside while our, our nation is under attack. No, not from a foreign country yet, anyway. Our nation's under attack from the very things that, that Belshazzar struggled with. From the very things that Belshazzar 
struggles. Let me finish the story and we'll go pick up those things together. Here's the deal. In an amazing feat, the Medo-Persian army led by uh, Cyrus, who a hundred years before God had prophesied would come and take Babylon. His name, called him by name before he was born. Um, The Medo-Persian army led by Cyrus diverts the Euphrates River. Diverts the Euphrates River, right? And so what happens where where the water goes under the walls, the water level begins to drop, right? And at the front where the water goes into the city and at the back where the water comes out of the city, he places his armies, right? And as soon as the water drops low enough, they wade under the walls and conquer the city. In one night, the city is overwhelmed. Well, God never, never does things without telling his people what he's going to do. And that night, he gave Belshazzar a warning. It's, it's a famous warning. It's become a proverb in our culture, right? Can't you read the handwriting on the wall, right? What is the matter with you? Can't you read the handwriting on the wall? That night, when Belshazzar is parting, all of a sudden, this mysterious hand, I can't explain it or describe it, this mysterious hand shows up and starts writing stuff on the wall, right? And and, and you can imagine that, that if Belshazzar was in the normal place for a king, he was looking out over his people. His people see it first. Belshazzar turns around and, and sees handwriting actually appear on the wall. This I'm not even pretending that this is the handwriting, but, but just to, so you can experience this a little bit, let's see what he might have seen. Can we do that together? Can you read it? Oh, come on. It's, it's easy. Dedi, Mide, Guide, Redmum, right? Um, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's kind of messy. Let's, can we clean it up a little bit? Can we clean it up a little bit? Is that any easier? Uh, not a whole lot, is it? Well, let me, let me just note that there were no spaces between words in Hebrew. So can we do that? There are no spaces between words. Now, can you read it? Can you read it? Don't say it out loud, but can anybody read it? Now, imagine that a hand is writing this, right? And, And how would you feel, right? A hand is writing these words. Now, I've got them in English, but the hand is writing these words... And they're terrified. Their knees knock. Uh, uh, Belshazzar, Belshazzar calls for the same old tired group of people we have seen over and over again in the book of Daniel, right? The sorcerers, right? The enchanters, the astrologers. And, and none of them can read the words that are in English, right? For them, in their language, in their mother tongue. None of them can read them or understand them, right? And, and so... So Belshazzar, uh, his, his queen, I think it's his queen mother, comes in. She was not in the party with all of his other wives. She was not in the drunkenness. She was not in all the things going on. And she comes in and says, oh, king, live forever, whatever they said, so the king wouldn't lop off your head. And then, and then she said, there is a man who served your father. There's your father again. And, and in him was the spirit of God. And call him. He will be able to read it. And they, and they did. And, and 
And Belshazzar says, Daniel, if you can do this, I'm going to give you all kinds of wealth. I'm going to give you royal robes. I'm going to elevate you. And Daniel says, Belshazzar, just keep all that stuff for yourself. But you have to know that God sees what you're doing. God knows your sin, right? And, and this night, this night, God is going to respond. I'll tell you what the words mean. And let me help us by, by recognizing that Hebrew reads right to left, right? Does that help you? Hebrew reads right to left. Let me flip it around for you. And then let me add the spaces back between the words so that you can understand it. You see it? Many, many in Aramaic or numbered, numbered, God says. Basically, your days are numbered. Belshazzar, right? Uh, Tekel, um, you, you have been weighed in the balance and found wanting. Parsin, your kingdom is literally, literally now going to be divided, right? The, the, the letters in Aramaic are the same letters that are used in the name Persia. Your, your kingdom is going to be divided between the Medes and the Persians. And, and Daniel 5 says that very night, that very night, as the Euphrates was diverted, as the Medo-Persian army came in, Belshazzar was killed and his kingdom was given to Darius the Mede. Wow. Wow. What do we, what do we learn about, about God? What do we learn about ourselves from this passage? First of all, I want you to, to, to look for a second at Belshazzar, right? Because as we've seen so many times, remember, I am Jonah, right? I am Peter. When we look at a, a, a biblical character, oftentimes we can see ourselves in him or her. How do we assess this earthly king? Well, the most obvious thing is, as we meet him for the very first time in Daniel 5, is that he was drunk. He was drunk with wine, right? But, but, but he was drunk with so much more. He was drunk also with power. It had been handed to him on a silver platter, literally a Hebrew silver platter, right? And, and, um, and he had no maturity to handle that. He was drunk with wine. He was drunk with power. But he was also drunk with possessions, including in the deepest vault of the treasury of Babylon, the, the very um, gold dishes and plates that had been used in worship in the Hebrew temple. Do you remember when Hezekiah proudly met an emissary from Babylon and said, let me show you the treasures, right? And, and, and he came into the treasury of God and showed him these very dishes, these very plates. Now, uh, how many years later, uh, or a hundred years later, um, having been kept in the treasury for all this time, Belshazzar calls them out. Let's use those gold and silver plates that we took from the Jews when we conquered Jerusalem, right? He was drunk with possessions and he desecrated the one possession, the one possession that was not his. I mean, everything belonged to the king, right, in Babylon. 
But there's a king greater than the king of Babylon. And, and these were his. Keep that in mind. We'll come back to that. He's drunk with wine, with power, with possessions. But the bottom line, as we saw with Nebuchadnezzar, is he was drunk with pride. And as, as we taught our children when they were so very young, remember from Proverbs 16 to 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. How do we assess this earthly king? He was drunk, yes. But he also was afraid. His face turned ashen and his knees, literally that's where that expression comes from, his knees knocked together. He was greatly alarmed. Daniel 5 says, his color changed, his thoughts alarmed him, his limbs gave way, his knees knocked together. Right? God said to him, your days are numbered. What did he mean? Well, he meant the days of his kingship. King after king had ruled in Babylon, and in the last uh, seven, excuse me, twenty-three years of Babylon, uh, king after king had been usurped by someone he knew, by someone in his court. The days of your kingship are numbered. And let me just translate in case we run out of time. The days of our kingship, the days of our sitting on the throne of our lives. If we're on the throne of our lives, our days are numbered. Understand that. Understand that. The psalmist says, Psalm 90, teach us to number our days, right? God, maybe if we can gain a heart of wisdom, if we can number our days, maybe you won't have to. The days of his kingship were numbered, but also the days of his kingdom. Now it's not just about transitioning from one king to another. The kingdom is at risk. And beloved, the challenges that we're facing as a nation today, I'm not trying to equate uh, our kingdom with the kingdom of Babylon, but there are amazing parallels, right? The, the, The days of our nation are numbered if we continue to flaunt the things of God, right? Now, now, wait a second. What are we flaunting? We don't have the plates. We don't have those dishes, right? We we flaunt the possession of God as precious children, right? We're so confused about who we are, and, and we're teaching and exporting to the world a false understanding of what it means to be a, a, a human being, what it means to be a man or a woman, what it means to be a child of God. So the days of, of our kingdom of our kingship are numbered, but also the days of our kingdom are numbered. No kingdom has stood against the truth of God. And don't confuse his patience, right, with his acceptance. So we're in exactly the same place. It's easy to throw rocks. It's easy to throw rocks at, at Belshazzar, but we are doing the same things. But not only was his kingship numbered, not only the days of his kingdom were numbered, but the days of his life were numbered. That very night, his soul, to change imagery, his soul would be required of him, right? That very night, Belshazzar was murdered. The night that God revealed himself to him. Well, what does the second word mean? This weighed. What does that mean, right? It's like God is... God is assessing, that's the word. He's assessing us and looking for anything that is worthy. Now, don't don't despair, um, because as we saw, um, we're very vulnerable to human things. He's, He's weighing our actions. He's weighing our actions. We saw that at the end of, of, 
of Ephesians 2.10, right? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Actions matter. Actions reveal something deeper. Actions reveal the second thing that's being weighed here. Actions revealed our motives, right? Um, what What is your intention? You might even do good things, but for the wrong reasons, and, and our motives are being weighed in the balance of God. I, um, I thought it'd be cute, and, um, and I ordered a uh, scale. You know those justice scales? And I didn't look very carefully when I ordered I have it in my office. It's, it's a beautiful little scale, except that the bar is frozen. So it doesn't, it doesn't move. And, and uh, maybe it's a parable of us, but we have frozen the bar so that God won't weigh us in the balance. And he says, I, I'm looking at your actions, and I'm not seeing... Oh, here's social justice. I'm not seeing biblical justice, right? I'm, I've looked at your motives, right? And I've only seen self-centeredness. I've not seen genuine love for me or for others. I've not seen even a love for your own self. But thirdly, he, he's weighing character in the balance One of the questions that popped in my mind, may have popped in yours as you prepared for today, was why did he let Nebuchadnezzar off the hook and not Belshazzar? I don't know for sure, but I would speculate and say say there is a cumulative effect of sin over time. And Belshazzar was at the end of that line. But I think think also God saw something in Nebuchadnezzar. God saw that that deep inside this man who had succumbed to the temptations of power, there was there was a character that was good. And God appealed to that. And beloved, God is appealing to what is good in you right now. Right now. He's, he's weighing our character and, and calling out from us a response of repentance and righteousness for for. Belshazzar, his his actions, his motives, his character was weighed and found wanting, and God didn't waste any time. The third word, Parsin, his kingdom was divided that night. But how would our heavenly Father, how would the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, how would He assess us? As I thought about how how do we even approach that question, I just the thing that came to me were some of the circumstances that Belshazzar. Was in. Let me just ask a couple pointed questions. With what are you drunk today? With what are you drunk? Now, some of you are going, I don't know what you're talking about. But think back to Belshazzar, right? Before he ever drank the wine, he drank, excuse me, I can't help myself from going here, the Kool Aid of power, right? He drank the Kool Aid of, of possessions, of false security. And things that he thought he controlled. He was drunk with pride. With pride, right? And the Apostle Paul, in that same book of Ephesians, calls out to us, don't get drunk with wine or power or possessions or security or pride. Get drunk. Remember that? Ephesians 5, 18. Get drunk with the Spirit of God. What did they say? There is a man... Belshazzar, there is a man in your kingdom who is filled, same word, drunk, with the Spirit of God. Get drunk on the Spirit. With what are you drunk today? 
with what? What walls are you putting your trust in? Because you might have bulletproof walls. You might have 87 feet thick walls around you and it's giving you a false sense of security. Nothing can penetrate those walls. And then in a heartbeat, someone diverts a river. And, and what 87 feet means nothing when you've got a gate to walk through, right? What walls are you trusting in? Let me ask a more challenging question. I'm going to really have to ask it of you and then let you think on it and pray over it. But how do you handle what is holy? How do you handle what is holy? Now, obviously, we're talking in the story about about the silver and gold plates from the sanctuary of God. But I'm not talking so much about things now, right? What is holy, literally, is what God has set apart for himself. How do you handle what God has set apart from himself? Boy, we could spend the day on this. But how about your spouse, right? Before he was ever yours, before she was ever yours, he or she was God's. And, and God set them apart for himself and for you. How do you handle your children? You know, before they were ever yours, they were his. He set them apart and they are holy to him, right? And let me say that differently. They are holy his as well. And how do you handle God's word? I know that most of our Bibles say Holy Bible on it. You have in your hand or on your phone today the very Word of God. Like Belshazzar, are you just ignoring it? Like Belshazzar, are you ridiculing it? Are you avoiding it? God's Word will, as someone put it, God's Word will keep you from sin. Or sin will keep you from God's word. Your choice. God's word will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from God's word. Beloved, in a very real sense, we are King Belshazzar. As individuals, as people, as a nation. As Paul put it, we are dead in the trespasses, in our trespasses, and sins, the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind and body. By nature, we are children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, right? What can we do? What can we do? And all Daniel is pointing toward these two kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. The literary structure of it saying, don't miss this. Right? Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Let me let me say it differently. Get low, right? Get off <laughs> I can hear my sister. Get off your high horse, right? Get low, right? Because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself before God, and He will lift you up, right? But I think in humility also, it's not just getting low, it's getting close. In that same passage in James, 
Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Draw near to him. And he will draw near to you. And get grace. Get grace. You were, but God, you are washed. You are sanctified. You're cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Remember the balance? Yeah. All my sins, all my sins way down the side. There's nothing. I, I tried, right? I tried to do all kinds of things to somehow balance the scales. Some of you even told me this week, you have friends who say, I'm just, I'm just trusting that my good outweighs my bad, right? I'm trusting that somehow I got bad news for you. It can never happen. It can never happen. But I've got great news for you. Christ Jesus did. Right? Our grace is not spelled uh, D-O, as in you've got to do it, right? Grace is spelled D-O-N-E. It's already been done. Christ lived the life that you couldn't live. He died the death that you deserve. The, the weight of his glory is the only thing that can balance the scales of our brokenness, of our pride, right? Christ has done it, right? And as you put your trust in Christ, come on up, worship team, as you put your trust in Christ, then, then the God sees his righteousness and forgives you, not of some, not of most, but of all of your sins. So, so I ask you today, not just in anticipation of next week's communion, but really in, in anticipation of, of the rest of your life, of being set free from the burden of brokenness, of sin, of, of being released from the temptation to drown your fears and your pride in, in substance abuse, uh, I, I invite you now turn and be filled with the presence of God that comes through the grace of Jesus Christ instead. I'm asking you to do what, what Nebuchadnezzar did and Belshazzar didn't. I'm asking you to, to get close, to get grace, to get low. I'm asking you to bow down. Would you take a moment, just prepare your hearts. And we're going to come and, and just have a time of confession. I won't make you do anything in, in public or embarrass you in any way, but I want to invite you here while we're together, where two or more are gathered and Christ is in our midst. I want to invite you to lay those burdens down. I want to invite you to receive the grace of God. Would you, would you just humble yourself and worship with us for just a few moments.
to agree together and draw courage from one another's faithfulness. Yes, we confess we have been on the throne of our lives. And we've become drunk with the power that comes with that. We've, we've become drunk with trust and possessions and even relationships. God, that were never meant to last forever. Today, we surrender our throne. And we say to you, you are Lord. Be Lord of my life. God, we, we confess we are exactly who Paul described. Living out of the desires of our heart and the passions of our flesh. God, the temptations of the evil one. And the intense pressure of the world around us. But God, we believe that with you is grace and mercy. And that if we just confess that to you, you will forgive us our sins. So in the quietness of our own hearts, we invite you, Holy Spirit, search us. If anything is not worthy of you, Bring it to our attention, would you? So that we could simply confess it to you. Beloved, use these quiet moments to speak into your heart. Speak with your heart the things that God reveals. God, I, I um, am just sensing that there are um, some here, like me, God, who are afraid of confessing, not because they don't believe that you forgive, but because we know that we will do it again. We, um, we hesitate to confess something that we're not willing to renounce. So, God, we need your help. Holy Spirit, you've brought those things to our mind. Now grant us the courage and the power to leave them behind, even as we speak them to you. Oh, God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that in love, seeing our condition, having exhausted every possible human response, God, that could somehow bring us to you, you gave your only begotten son to us. And he in love gave his life so that we, this moment, might be set free from the things that bind us so that we might be set free from the chains, God, that restrict us, that we might be able to 
lift up our eyes like Nebuchadnezzar and gaze on your beauty and be restored. Beloved, hear this truth that if you have confessed your sins, he is faithful, he is just, and he has forgiven you and cleansed you of all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. 